Yeah, good morning to you. We are so glad that you are here today. Thanks for coming to Dorisville. And uh, you know what I'm going to do up for you? Because I know sometimes with these songs you can't get all the words. Maybe next week and the week after before we finish this series up, I'll put the lyrics video up. The fish, so you get, make sure you get all those words. Um, this, is kind of, this is a group called For King and Country, and it's their mantra, it's their marching words. You know, it's kind of like what they take on as their mission as a group. So it's, I think it's, it's great words and, of course, a great song. And uh, wow, okay, I think the worship today has got to have a shoot that thing. Okay, shoot that thing. So appreciate, you know, David particularly with Relentless Love, uh, how strong that was, and Robin's song, No Greater Love. That's what we want to talk about throughout this series, but particularly today. Particularly today. You know, the story of God that he gives us um, is a story of restoration. Um, it, it started, you know, in the garden, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned against him and, and it was broken. The, the relationship and the fellowship was broken. And, and God made a promise. The very first promise of the gospel was then, you know, when he, when he promised that, that a Savior would come and that he would ultimately defeat Satan. And he would also free us from the power of sin, death, and the grave. So, so that was so awesome. God's seeking to restore. When paradise was lost that day, you know, something we don't think about. You know, he, he forced them from the garden, not as a mean move, but as a protective move. Because if they ate from the tree that gives eternal life, they would live forever in their broken state. And that is not what he wanted. He wanted something better. And so he took them out of the garden and paradise was lost. But did you know that even paradise one day will be restored? You know, there's a verse in the Bible in, in Revelation chapter 21 where he says, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. He's not going to renovate this earth. Okay, he's going to create a brand new earth that will be so much like um, the garden that was lost, paradise lost then. And the whole story of the Bible is restoration, restoration, restoration. So today we want to talk about how how love restores, how love restores. Now, this is going to be a two parter. Okay, we're going to make it down to about verse number 14 today, this morning. And then tonight, if you'll come on back at six o'clock. Under the steeple, we're going to hit part number two. And it's kind of, I know that you won't get this until you get this, but uh, that, that made a lot of sense, didn't it? Um, so this morning, we're going to see how God uses his spiritual shotgun, okay? So he shoots at a group of seven disciples with love and restoration and grace, okay? But then tonight, he uses his spiritual rifle, and he, and he narrows down to a guy named Peter. Okay, so this morning he's seeking to restore a group, and tonight he's going. We're going to see how he seeks with his rifle to seek and restore one man in particular. So I hope it's exciting for you. I hope you got your your Bibles out. I hope you got your app open, your Bible app open. Go to that place in the bottom and where it says more. Get up there to events and open that up. And all the notes you can take notes there, and all the notes for the sermon are there as well as some graphics and things like that. So and also some announcements. So hope you will. Do do that today. I think, I think we're going to really hear some stuff today um, that, that will help us in our, I try this every week, but that will help us in our daily walk, our daily life, okay? So, so I'm looking forward to it. Now, now in this idea of restoration, um, let me read this. I, I think I have it memorized, but let me read to you. I, I was looking for a, a little cute thing for the introduction, and um, I found this on the internet. And it just says it all, okay? Here's what it says. Um, so when President Lincoln was asked how he would treat the rebellious Southerners when they were defeated, he said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. I would treat them as if they'd never been away. And that is a beautiful picture of love's restoration. Love restores. So, so as we're fixing to see, we've got a group of seven disciples, okay? This is post-resurrection. They've seen Jesus at least twice, the Bible says. So it's not like, oh, wow, you're resurrected. They already had the wow factor. They're getting rewowed, okay? Um, and so, so here's the setup, and I, you know, I think it's something you're really going to appreciate and something you can apply to your life. So we find ourselves in John 21 and verse number 1 and 2. This is one of my favorite stories um, in the Bible, all right? So we hear John 21, 1 and 2, and it says, After this, okay, what follows in 20, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So, so we see Jesus again, revealing himself again, again. Now, now, this is why that's so important. You know, why didn't Jesus just show up one time and call it a day? 
Why, why didn't Jesus just show up one time and go, hey, I'm alive and stuff. See you in 2,000 years. Okay, the reason why was the whole gospel story hinges on their testimony that he was alive. They, have, they had to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay, that he was really alive. Because if that wasn't, if that was true, if, if later on they go, well, we think we saw him, we think he's alive, the whole gospel would implode it. Because the power of the gospel is solidified, okay, confirmed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of men died on crosses. No one came back to life but Jesus Christ. A lot of men died on the crosses, but no one came to life besides Jesus Christ. So, so he shows himself now. Um, he shows himself again to the disciples. Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 is a really good verse. Let me read it to you. It says this. During, of course, written by Luke. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles. I like this verbiage. From time to time. It wasn't like, you know, hey, let's run over to Walmart and see Jesus, okay? It wasn't like, or, or let's go to 217 East Poplar Street and see Jesus, okay? Or West Poplar Street and go see Jesus. He would show up from time to time, listen, and he proved to them, he, someone say proved. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. It's huge. It's huge. So, so John simply starts by saying he revealed himself again. And verse number 14, you're going to see this is the third time. This is the third time as a group, right? Or, yeah, probably as a group would be the best way of saying that, that he shows up and, and proves himself to the guys. Okay? So here's how it sets up. He revealed, revealed himself in this way. Verse number 2. Simon Peter, we all know Simon Peter. Thomas, called the twin. Um, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, um, Zebedee's sons, and they were James and John. James and John, remember them, okay? And then I like this because it kind of leaves it open for me and you, okay? Two other disciples. So out of the 11, Jesus is gone now, okay? Out of the 11, seven, seven of them are together, okay? And here's what they were doing. They were doing something that you don't like to do. And they were somewhere where they didn't want to be and you don't want to be. They were doing something that you don't like to do. And they were somewhere where you don't want to be and they didn't want to be. What they were doing was waiting. We don't wait well. We are just an impatient kind of people. We don't wait well. And guess what? There are They are in... God's waiting room. And we don't like God's waiting room. Okay? So here they are. They're, you know, it's, they've seen Jesus, okay, two other times as a group, okay, in different situations, okay? But now they find themselves going, gee, what's next? What do we do now? You know, it's kind of you get married. The marriage is over and you got these years. What do you do now? You know? Okay? So, so they're kind of waiting around and in a place that we call... God's waiting room. Now, in God's waiting room, as you see there in the slide, it's an incubator. Now, now let me, it's so cool how secular definitions fit into spiritual applications. Okay? Here's a short definition for an incubator. An incubator um, is a place providing, and by the way, I think the official definition was an apparatus, but somehow that seemed awful big. Okay? So, a place Providing a control, controlled environment, that's good, write that down, for the care, protection, and growth of babies. Now, can you start seeing God's waiting room and how that might fit? Okay? An apparatus or a place providing a controlled environment. You probably want to write that down. Okay? Now, if you find yourself, you think you're in God's waiting room, you're waiting for something to happen, okay? It's a controlled environment. You need to understand we serve a sovereign God. I, I really believe this. I really believe this. We, we've got a God who controls our circumstances, okay? So if you're in this situation, okay, and it seems like you find yourself with God's at the pause button, you're like your DVR, you're frozen on the frame there, okay, don't lose hope, okay? God's got you in a controlled environment for a particular reason, and that particular reason is your care, his care of you, his protection 
of you and your growth. Your growth. So that's what an incubator is. But, but, but incubators, because we're an impatient kind of people, I mean, let's face it. You know, if you were a NICU and you've been in this little box thing for like, like, like months and you knew really about time, if you could talk, you know, look who's talking now, the, the movie, the baby movie. You know, you wake up and say, hey, I'm ready to get out of here. Okay, the lungs are working. Everything's working. I'm ready to get out. Let's move on. Okay, that's what the baby would say if they could. Of course, they can't. All right? So we find ourselves in this waiting room, and two things are going to happen in this waiting room. Well, one should happen, and unfortunately, one does happen. One should happen, and one happens too often. One is, it should be a place of faith. It should be a, it should be a place um, where we, we regularly trust God. We, we, we have faith in God. Okay, now, this is a good story. You remember the manna thing? Remember back in the children of Israel? You know, they came out of Egypt, and God was going to feed them. And how long did he feed them? Forty years. Now, keep in mind, now granted, their 40-year journey was because of their disobedience, but they were still in the waiting room. You may be, Tim, you may be in a waiting room because of disobedience. You may be in a waiting room just because God said you need to be in a waiting room. I mean, there's really, it's not always a bad thing. It probably isn't a bad thing. But their wedding room lasted 40 years, Dave. 40 years. But during that 40 years, you know, God provided this thing called manna. Now, I've, re- I've reversed my, my theology on this because I found a flaw in it. Um, I used to say that the manna was described as a small, round thing. And I assumed that was piles of grits. It worked for me. Okay, work for me. But then I realized that it only says in the Hebrew, it says the manna was a small round thing. It says it was sweet. And I, you know I'm opposed, I'm opposed, I'm opposed to sugar and grits. So I know that it couldn't be grits, but I figured out what it was. Krispy Kreme donuts. It, oh, it has to be. It has to be. They're round, they're small, and they're sweet. So, so here's how it works out, okay? So every morning, now you're going to know what I'm talking about, if you know anything about Krispy Kreme donuts, every morning, God would turn on the hot light, okay? Y'all, come on now. How many of y'all drive by through Marion, and you look that way, cast your eye, and you see that big red, red circle, and somebody in the car says, the hot light's on, and that means it's time to go get donuts, Okay, so so God every morning would turn the hot light on. Okay, and what that meant was go out and get your manna. And they would go out and they pick enough up. And God was cool because He said, "I want you to trust me every day, so only get one day's worth." Except for on Friday, you could get two days worth because I don't want you working on the Sabbath. Okay, so every morning, just like clockwork, the red light came on, the hot light came on. Okay, we're time to go get donuts. Time to go get donuts. Now, this went on. Now, there was something that God was teaching them. Forty years in the wilderness, and a chunk of it was about trusting God. So every time when they went out and picked up the Krispy Kremes, okay, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. So a chunk of their waiting room experience was learning to trust God. And haha, guess what? A chunk of your waiting room experience is learning to trust God. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. Okay? That's a big chunk of why God puts us in the waiting room. Dwayne, I want you to learn to trust me. Joe, I want you to learn to trust me. I want you, to, hey Denzel, I want you to learn to trust me. Okay, so so that was a chunk of what God wanted to happen. Okay, but sometimes when you're in the waiting room, you get tired of waiting. It happens in doctor's offices. It happens in car dealerships. It happens in lots of places. And so all of a sudden we get ready, we get antsy, we're ready to move on. And unbelief builds up in our hearts. 
And there are two big thoughts. And again, if you're taking notes, write these down because they may help you in the future when you get a little antsy with God. Okay? And here's what we say to ourselves when we start getting antsy. We say, if I don't, it won't. If I don't, it won't. If I don't act, it won't get done. Now we start, that's not true. But we start believing that. Okay, so, so we start making, we, we get ready, we said we're going to leave the waiting room, and the reason we're leaving the waiting room is because I, I determined in my heart that I don't do something, it won't get done. And that is just a bunch of words that mean unbelief. Unbelief. And then it may look something like this. You might say something like, um, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come through? What if he doesn't provide? What if he doesn't act on my behalf? Um, what if I'm here forever? Okay? So, so these two things, these kind of things, this unbelief pop up into the waiting room. Okay? Now, listen. God is good. God can be trusted and God is faithful. So if you're in the waiting room right now, and it may be something like, I'm waiting for vengeance. Someone offended me. My husband or wife cheated on me, and I want vengeance, okay? And boy, after a while, you get really tempted. You start saying, God's not going to do this, so I've got to do it. So we take actions, okay? And trust me, I'll show you this, man. It doesn't turn out well. It doesn't turn out well, okay? So there's a scripture that will help us in uh, Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. Since ancient times, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you. What do you say now? Wait a minute. The, the, the Old Testament, New Testament, and guess what? My neighborhood is filled with false gods. Sometimes they look like 35-foot bass boats. Sometimes they look like $200,000 houses. Or sometimes they look like $45,000 trucks. Okay, but my neighborhood's full of gods. Okay, so so how is it that? Well, you didn't let me finish the sentence. I'll just start at the beginning again. Since ancient times, no one has heard or ear has perceived, no eye has seen any god besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. No other god. Not not security of your social security check or your retirement. Not the satisfaction you hope to gain through stuff, okay? No God acts on your behalf like the one true God. Like the one true God. So, so what I want you to take home is this. You know, what this means in the big picture is that while you're waiting, God is working. You gotta believe that. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you're gonna see evidence of Him working. Again, I said this before. You know, faith never requires evidence. If, if it requires evidence, it's not faith. You know, faith never requires every question to be answered. If it did, it wouldn't be faith. Okay, so, so just you got to trust that while you're in this waiting room, while you're in this holding pattern, okay, you know, it means that God is working while you are waiting. It's behind the scenes. It's kind of like, you ever take your car to a dealership? Okay, and here's what you're hoping. You're hoping that while you're waiting, someone's working on your car. Okay, yeah, you hope that. By the way, I'm going to give you my secret, okay? So what you do is you find out where they park your car. And you know that no mechanic is working on your car as long as it's parked there. Okay, so you're killing time. Okay, it's true. It's not true with God, but it's true with mechanics. So as soon as you see your car moved in, then you've got the hope a mechanic is working. Well, the good news is, with God, he's always working. He's always working behind the scenes, okay? And, and you know, while he's working, I love this, he's working on you. See, see every, every waiting room is different, okay? They're not generic. Okay, you know, there's a car dealership that because of the model of my car, I have to go to for some things. And they got the best waiting room, Dave. You, you walk, yeah, you walk in there, you know, and they've got like, they've got this um, refrigerator and it's filled with 
you know, all the, including Diet Coke. Okay, they have all these different sodas and waters and all that different stuff. And then, in case you're not into that, they got one of the most fancy, no, most fanciest, bad grammar. They got the fanciest coffee machine you've ever seen. You know, everybody goes, ooh, Coreg. Oh, shoot, this is, this is better than Coreg. This sucker's got little bags. And you put the little bags in it, and, you know, and it, it mixes with sometimes milk and sometimes water. It makes whatever you want. I mean, it's really cool. It's amazing. Never heard of it before, but it works. I mean, it's got cappuccinos. It's got all kinds of stuff. Okay? And then, if that wasn't enough, it's got food. Yeah, hello. It's got salty snacks. It's got sweet snacks. It's got just every kind. I mean, a whole rack full. So, I don't want to be at the dealership. Okay? But at least while I'm waiting, it's a good one. It's a good one. Then, where I bought my car, I also had a waiting room. Okay? And I had to go back and have something checked, so I go to their waiting room. And they've got the Coreg. Now, it's not the little fancy bag thing, but it was really still cool. But you know what they had? Hot chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, how cool, how cool is that? Okay? Then, then, I went to have my windows tinted in Paducah. Okay? And I pull into this, this place that does tinted windows, four plastic chairs and one old magazine. And four hours of waiting. Ask me if I was in a good mood. I mean, I tell you, well, I was not in a good mood, okay? But here's my point. My point is, every waiting room that God has is unique for you, okay? And, and he, only he knows, you know, he knows you, he knows the waiting rooms you need. Okay, so for some, for some who trust, he trusts with a lot of suffering, that you have such great faith, you endure suffering well, it may be a harder waiting room. And for some of us, some of us who are not very mature, it's kind of a little plusher waiting room. Okay, but I want you to understand that every waiting room you need, you know, while you're waiting, God is working, he's working on you. And he designs a waiting room that's just for you. All right, so, so make yourself at home. God hasn't forgotten you. I know sometimes we go to the dealership, you know, and you finally walk up and say, Is anybody working on my car? Okay? Yes, sir, we are. I know you can't. No, we are. We're almost done or something like that. Okay? So, so God has a special waiting room just for you. Now, you might be asking yourself, What's up with the waiting? Why, why is God hung up on waiting? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, come on, come on. God... I want my husband saved now. An hour later, we go back and tell you, God, I'm still waiting. Yeah, I spent a whole hour and asked my husband to get saved, and you haven't done anything. You know, God, why do you, why do you have this waiting gig? Okay, let me, let me give you a little part of it. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says this. Now, it's speaking about the nation of Israel. Okay, God led you, okay, nation of Israel, all the way in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. 40 years to humble and test you. Ooh. Way often, God's waiting rooms are to humble us and to test us, to make us understand we need to depend on God and to test our faith. Okay, we rebel against it. Don't want to be in the waiting room. Get me out of the waiting room. Okay, I'm humbling you. Okay, I'm going to test your faith. All right, in order... To know what is in your heart. See, see here, you know, that doesn't mean God doesn't know your heart. God knows your heart. The problem is, you don't know your heart. So the 40 years is not, you know, not to show him what's in your heart, but you need to see what's in your heart. You, you really, mm, this is good, you really get to know yourself in the waiting room. You really get to find out who you are in God, in the waiting room. Okay? You get to know your heart. You say, well, do I know my heart? Huh. Your heart told you to marry him, and you and I both know he wasn't the right choice. Your heart told you to take that career, and you and I both know it was not the career. You know, you know what Jeremiah 17.9 says? The heart is desperately wicked who can know it. You can't trust your heart. Your heart will lie to you. But guess who you can trust? You can trust God. 
And God puts us in a waiting room to have faith in Him and discover our hearts. Discover where our faith is. Discover what we believe about Him. All right, well, Peter's been in the waiting room now for a while, and he gets an idea. Now, now what, it, it kind of, it's kind of like this. You know, we, we sometimes when we're in the waiting room, we want to do something, okay, instead of wait, okay? So Peter says in verse, the first part of verse 3, he says, I'm going fishing. Simon Peter said to the other guys. Okay, there's seven of them there. And he says to the other guys, hey guys, I'm going fishing. Now what was Peter before he was the follower of Christ? He was a fisherman. Okay, now there is some debate about what this is all about. But a whole chunk of people, and I haven't followed that chunk. No matter how you size this up, this is not good. It's some kind of a retreat back to the past. Okay? So, so here, fishing, say what you will, was the old life, the old way. So Peter gets antsy, okay? And he's already, I'm going to say this a little bit later on, but he's already figured out he's not the world's best disciple. He kind of like failed, you know. So he's, he's already kind of not doing real good with the disciple thing. So he said, I'll just go back to what I used to do. Okay. So fishing represents then the, the old way, the old life. Now, rather, rather than wait, which was the right thing, he does the wrong thing and does something. He does something. Is there anybody in this room who you figured out you're in God's waiting room long before I mentioned this topic this morning. You figured out you're in the and you said to yourself, if I don't do something, it won't get done. If I don't act, it won't get done. Okay? Yeah. Well, that's what Peter says. Peter says, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but it ain't happening, so I'm going to go back to what I used to do, and, of course, that would be fishing. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't work well in life, and it doesn't work well with God's stuff either. Okay? Um, you, y'all, y'all perhaps remember the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Remember them? Okay. So it goes like this. So God leads Abraham, tells him to leave Ur and Haram and go to a new place he'll show him. You remember how old he was? Yeah, 75 years old. Okay? And somewhere in the process, in the mix, okay, God says, you're going to be a blessing to all these nations. It's going to be a cool thing, you know. Well, nine years later, I mean, yeah, yeah. Nine years he's been sitting in the waiting room, and there ain't no baby. Okay? So when he's 84 years old, remember he started at 75. When he's 84 years old, Sarah gets a brilliant idea. So she said, oh, I've got an idea. Why don't you take my Egyptian slave, Hagar, Take her as one of your new wives, okay? And then you can bear a son through her, okay? Now, truth be known, she didn't like that idea. Abraham shouldn't like that idea. And God really didn't like that idea. But when you're in the weight room and you're bored, you do crazy things. And so, yep, he goes in to Hagar and ta-da, a son is born. Ishmael. Well, as soon as the baby's born, Sarah gets jealous. It's a really, isn't this dysfunctional? You think your family's dysfunctional? Read your Bible. I mean, it is full of dysfunctional families. It really is. It's just full of them. And so, so anyway, and so, you know, here's Ishmael, and Sarah runs them off, and God brings them back. And, and here's the deal, okay? Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations, okay? So it wasn't until... Abraham was a hundred years old. You know, God shows him and says, this is not going to be your heir. So now, 15 years. How long? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. 25 years. Bad math. 25 years after he left Ur and Haram, he finally has a son named Isaac. 25 years in the waiting room. Okay? And the promised son comes. Okay? Now, here's the deal. The world would be a lot better off today if Sarah hadn't come up with a new idea. Because ever since history now recorded since that point, the Ishmaelites and the Jewish people have fought. Have you ever heard of the conflict in the Middle East? Uh, that's it. 
That's it. Okay? So, so good things don't happen when we get tired of the waiting room. Okay? So, so Peter starts saying, okay, you know, let's, let's do something. Let's go fishing. Now, I wrote this down. I said, failure usually takes the path of least resistance, which usually leads to our last success and our next failure. Okay? Failure all right, usually takes the path of least resistance which usually leads to our last success and our next failure. Does that make sense to you? We, when, we're, when we're in a mess, we tend to want to go back to where we were. Let's go back to our last succeeded. I'm going to tell you something, and I think it's okay to tell you. Um, it's about me, so I guess I'll find out if it is or not. But, you know, when I first came here, <laughs> I needed to take Leadership 101 because I was not a good leader. I just wasn't. I'm... I did stupid regularly. I mean, I was just like, did stupid, you know. I should have had a tattoo to my head. So I was in the mirror, I said, stupid. I just wasn't a good leader, okay. And I'm not saying I'm good now, but I think I'm better. <laughs> oh, 20 years later, I'm better. But anyway, so I, you know, so, so anyway, about year four, um, I got word that Cobden's pastor left. And I didn't act on it. I didn't call anybody. I didn't do anything with it. But I said, oh, Cobden. Gosh, I wasn't stupid there. I'm stupid here, but I wasn't stupid there. Wouldn't it be cool to go back and to my last success and pastor Cobden again where I wasn't stupid? That's what we do. We want to go back to where we once were successful. Well, if I'd have gone back, there would have been two things. Cobden Church would have imploded under my poor leadership. And two, I wouldn't be here today enjoying the time of my life getting pastor you guys. Okay? But I had to be patient and wait for God to fix me some in my leadership skills. Okay? So that's part of my story you, you may not have known. Okay? So, so we, we, we go back to our last big success, and if we're not careful, we end up in a big failure. A big failure. All right, we've got to move on. Okay? I, oh, I've got to tell you, this is what I also wrote down to. You know, the liar said to Peter, you make a terrible disciple, maybe you'll make a better fisherman. He'll lie to you. You're sitting there in the waiting room, you're bored stiff, and he'll bring up your, your failure and go, oh yeah, well, you know, you're not very good at this. Maybe be good at that. And by the way, be careful. He'll talk about your marriage. You know? Oh, you're not happy with her. You'd be happy with her. You're not happy with him. You'll be happy with him. And kids, students, okay? Same deal. Hey, boy, don't you wish you had them as parents? Because, man, they really, they let their kids do everything, man. And they're, they got money, man. You know, and, and this leads to discontent. Is all it leads to. It's a liar to say, you're, you're poor at being a disciple. Maybe you'd be a better fisherman. Well, in 21.3, the second part, okay, guess what happens? We're coming with you, they said. So, so when Peter said, I'm leaving the waiting room, they wanted to go with him. All six of them. Okay? So, write this down. You rarely leave the waiting room alone. You leave, normally don't leave the waiting room alone. You get up, you're discontent, and if you're not careful, those around you will follow you. Okay? So, they said, we're going with you. Now... Now, John Maxwell, now Peter, it's amazing because Peter was not a really good leader. Even in his failure, though, he was a leader. It's kind of weird, okay? He, he drew people to himself, okay? Now, John Maxwell says this, and he's an old leadership guru, okay? Um, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Um, you know, plain and simple. So as an influencer, as an influencer, okay, um, your decisions impact everyone around you, all right? Now, my question is, if that's true, where are you leading the people closest to you? Okay? Leadership is plain. Leadership is influence, plain and simple. Okay? All right? That makes us leaders. Okay? And the question is, if that's true, where are you leading the people around you? Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Look at me. Where are you leading your kids? Where are you leading your kids? Hey, Mom, where are you leading your kids? If leadership is influenced, plain and simple, where are you leading your kids? The old Cat Stevens song, well, it's really, I always say Cat Stevens, it's Harry somebody sang it, you know, but, but Cat in the Cradle was a song, 
And in the song, the boy says, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And there's so much truth in that. So, Dad, you have got to get a grip. You have got to get a grip because your kids are watching you. You're influencing them. Hey, Mom, you've got to get a grip because your kids are looking at you. And like it or not, sometimes your husband's looking. Whether it should be that way or not, it doesn't matter. Dad, if you're a boss, you know, a supervisor, you know, where are you leading your staff? Where are you leading your staff? I got a picture right there. Can you see that? I hope it's bigger. Yeah, it's bigger up there. This was Savannah, Georgia, and that's my grandson, Will. And um, he was about, what, three, four, maybe three years old. I hope you can see. I sat down on the bench and just did like this. I do that sometimes. I put my hands up, and without any prompting whatsoever, he comes over and sits next to his pawpaw and does exactly what I was doing. Influence matters. Where are you taking those you influence? It's huge. In this case, Peter led them out of the waiting room to go fishing. Okay? All right. Well, let's look and see what happens here. All right? So, in, in the last part of verse 3, they went out and got into the boat. And guess what? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. I know, I know, I know, I know. Your last success looks so great in the rearview mirror. You look back and go, wow, I was so successful then. I was so right on then. And you get there and you catch nothing. You know, you know past success does not guarantee future success. You've got to get that. It's, it's, so, it's so hugely important, you know. The grass, the grass may look greener in the past, but it's not. When you get there, it was green for that moment in your time, okay? But it won't be green now. So they get out there, and they catch absolutely nothing. Okay, we've got to move on. John 21, 4 and 5. Okay, so when daybreak came, now it was long night, okay? So they fished all night, and they caught nothing. Okay. Side note, if you think the waiting room takes a long time, yeah, leave the waiting room and make bad mistakes. It's a long night. It's a long night. Okay. So, so Jesus stood on the shore, and there's nothing here that we're not mystical or magical, all right? But disciples did not know it was Jesus. It was pretty dark. It was perhaps misty, okay? They didn't know it was Jesus. And so he says in verse 5, hey, friends, Jesus called to them. And by the way, yeah. Hey, you rebellious disciples! Don't you know you're supposed to be in the waiting room? Have I told you to go fish? Isn't that cool? There's none of that. See, we pre- we make all this junk up about God, and it is junk. It's junk. You know the lightning bolt thing? I just can't wait for you to fail so I can zap you. That's not God. You know, friends, you don't have any fish. <laughs> Inflection means everything. Who knows? Friends, Jesus called them. You don't have any fish, do you? Or, hey, friends, you don't have any fish, do you? Yeah. What are you saying? Didn't catch anything, did you? Or, didn't catch anything, did you? You know, it's the common question. Hey, did you catch anything? You went fishing. Did you catch anything? And they said, no. No, no, we didn't. And then, and then, this looks familiar, verse 6, we'll cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, in Luke, in chapter, Luke chapter 5, okay, you remember the story, got to be real quick here, you know, remember the story, Peter loans his boat to Jesus, he, he preaches from it, and says, Peter, now, I want you to go out and cast your nets. Oh, Jesus, I fished all night and caught nothing, but at your word, we'll give it a whirl. He goes out and throws the net out, and guess what happens? <laughs> Boatload. Of fish. Well, Jesus makes the same deal here. Casting it on the right side of the boat, he told him, You'll find some. And boy, did that. They obeyed and they were unable to haul it in because of a large number of fish. Wow. I mean, isn't it cool that why did you know why did Jesus give them the the boatload of fish? I'll tell you in a minute. I'll tell you in a minute, alright? So 21-7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, 
said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. He could not wait. Now, now let me just clarify something, okay? Sometimes you hear some bad interpretation of the Bible that Jesus was mad at Peter, and he was nothing but a failure, okay? And Peter was ashamed. Forgiveness has already occurred here. What's going to happen tonight that you're not going to get to hear this morning has everything to do with restoration, not forgiveness. You know, he's going to publicly restore Peter to his position as a disciple. Okay? Peter loved Jesus. Yeah, he messed up. Oh, did you ever mess up? Do you love Jesus? Well, sure you do. Sure you do. So let's not jump on the boat to condemn Peter here. Well, since they were not far from land, about a, about a hundred yards, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. And when they got there, they saw something. So, so they drag Peter swimming, okay, and the other six bring this boat ashore with all this fish. And when they get there, they find a charcoal fire. On it was fish. Hmm, fish. And bread. So the first thing Peter says in verse 10, now watch, this is so good. I would regret I only got three minutes to tell you. Well, I might. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you got fish. It's clear. John clearly wrote when they got to shore, they had fire, they had fish, and they had bread. Why in the world, Jesus, did you say bring some of the fish that you caught? You've already got fish. Are you just crazy about fish? What's going on, Jesus? And I think it's so wonderful what this verse teaches us. Okay, so he says, bring some of the fish you just caught. And interesting enough, guess who jumps up? Simon Peter, the fisher guy. Okay, so Simon Peter climbs up and hauled the net. This is so significant. Hauled the net ashore. So the boat was there. The net was in the water. And Peter goes in and drags this huge net of fish ashore full of large fish, 153. Uh, no, that's not the number of known nations in the world. It wasn't the known number of, of people groups in the world. John just gave us a detail because that's what's great about the Word of God. It makes it real. Okay? 153 of them. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, so, so they're out of the waiting room, probably being where they shouldn't have been, doing what they shouldn't have been doing, and Jesus gives them a whole net full of fish. Hey, what's up with that? Wait, wait, wait. That's not all. So he protects the fish by making sure the net didn't tear. What is up with all of this? I'm going to tell you. See, it's all about choice. It's all about choice. You know, Jesus is putting out there and saying, okay, boys, there's a choice here. You can be fishers of men or you can be fishers of fish. You can follow me or you can seek them, the fish. I think that the reason, even though we had fish on the grill already, the reason he said bring the net ashore was that the fish represented a path to the past. A path to the past. Judy, Tim, Benna, you remember what that port smelled like in Africa? They had all these zillions of dead fish laying on the port. But that, you know, that's not long. It stunk to high heaven. So clearly, he comes and drags the fish ashore... So the fish were in the water. Why did you leave the fish in the water? Oh, because any fisherman knows dead fish don't sail. That dead fish stink, but they don't sail. So Peter goes and drags the fish ashore out of the water. Okay? So Peter is making a clear and conscious decision. I choose you. I can hear Peter going, Now, Jesus, um, if I take the fish out of the water, uh, they'll die. And dead fish will sail. Now, the most important thing to Peter was Jesus. I don't know why. He would say, Jesus, I'm not sure why you gave us all these fish. But I'm telling you right now, they aren't as important as you are. 
I'm telling you, it's huge. It's huge. So, so Jesus gives them this, this path to the past, okay? And they give them a choice. Are you going to follow, choose them or me? Are you going to be a fish for men or fish for fish? And when Peter gets up, goes over, and drags that net onto shore, he's making his decision. And he's speaking for all seven. Thanks for the fish. Mm, this is good. Thanks for the fish, but they could never replace you. What is it in your life? There's a decision to be made. And if you come to the conclusion, God thanks for that. But I want you to know something, God. It can never replace you. Not my fame, not my fortune, not my wealth, not my money, not my talent, not my power, not my influence, not my ability. God thanks for it all, but it can never replace you. You've got to come to that conclusion. Well, it's amazing. After that was settled, it's interesting. After that was settled, there comes a time of fellowship. In verse 12 through 14, come and have breakfast. He didn't do that until afterwards. I mean, he already had the fish, so it wasn't like he had to have the fish for breakfast. He had those. So come and have breakfast with me, okay? And then none of the disciples dared ask who you are because they knew. The whole point of this was to prove that Jesus was alive. We, we learned that. Okay? So, so who, they were asked who you were because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus in kindness took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. And that, oh, the reflection. I know the elements are different, but the Lord's Supper, all those things. Things are flashing back into their minds. And then John simply closes this section with these words. This was now the third time. The third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And each time Jesus showed up, it solidified two things. It solidified the fact that they needed to wait in the waiting room. In fact, Jesus later said in Acts, go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't fish. Okay? Just go and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So it solidifies the importance of the waiting room. But it also solidifies who Jesus was and the fact that he's alive. He's alive. And again, that was so crucial. You can't build a gospel on a hope so maybe. Every other religion besides Christianity builds it on a hope so maybe. You know, I hope I can go to heaven. I hope I'm good enough. Not, not, not Christianity. It's built on God's grace and our faith. So if you're here today and you're in the waiting room, stay put. Stay put. You may not understand. I'm telling you, look, your pastor's talking to you. I'm, I'm not Mr. Smarty Pants. But you may not understand why you're in the waiting room. But wait. The history books record a lot of folks who didn't, and it didn't go well. Just wait. Remember, you're in an incubator, a environment, a safe environment for your care, protection, and growth. You're in the best place to be. Whether it's got the best coffee machine in the world and all the sweets and crackers you want, or whether it's four plastic chairs and an old magazine. Stay where you are, because God has you where he wants you, in a place of protection and care for your well-being. If you find yourself out... I, it's really interesting. When, if you find yourself out of the room, okay, know this, that you're going to bump into God somewhere. You're going to bump into him. He's going to bump into you, actually. And you're not going to find this angry God who wants to hurt you and punish you because you left the waiting room. You're going to find the exact same thing. You're going to find the exact same thing the prodigal son found. A father with open arms who says, come on home. Come on home. And if you're here today and you've never 
this is all like a great mystery to you. You're going, what? You know, you just need to know this. From before you were born, God had a plan for your life. He loves you so much. He wants you to come into his family. He wants you to come into his family. And today we have a time of decision, and maybe you've never, you've never acted on that pull that you're feeling right now. Something weird is happening. You're going, I don't understand what this is all about, but I'm feeling this emotion to, to, to do something about this. To call, leave that waiting room and come into God's grace and family. And Brother Brent's going to be standing out front. And oh, we'd love to share with you about our best friend, Jesus. We certainly would. If you're here today and you're in the waiting room, don't give up. Don't leave. Be patient. Wait, wait on God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount their hands again. Just wait on him. He's not forgot you. He's not the mechanic down the dealership. He's God. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to forget you. If, if it's, a, it's a bare waiting room, you know, Paul wrote and said, you know, run with race the patience, run with patience the race that's set before you. Your waiting room, if it's, if it's Spartan, just know that God designed it for you. And he has a reason why he's put you in that particular waiting room. Trust his sovereignty and trust his Father, thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for the privilege of being allowed to share these truths from your word. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you love us enough to put us in spaces that are environmentally safe for us, for our care and protection and growth. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to believe that you are good and faithful and you can be trusted. And Father, if one of my friends here today, maybe on Facebook Live or perhaps on the radio, um, would you bump into them if they've left the waiting room? Just like Jesus you did on that shore. Would you bump into them and let them know you love them and that you wait to bring them back into your fold and to your fellowship. God, would you work in folks' lives today, however you choose to call and work on them. We trust you and ask you to do exactly that. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.